Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the first part of our full interview with David Pierce, where we discuss the role of brokers in FX trading. David has over three decades of experience in all aspects of foreign exchange, international banking, and trade finance. His extensive experience in structuring hedging strategies, multi-tiered transactional exposures, utilizing derivative products, makes his advisory services highly demanded by multinational corporations. David has appeared as an expert on CNBC and in many business publications such as the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg. In the episodes today, expect to learn how do brokers facilitate AFIX trading for corporate treasuries, what is a stock brokerage versus an FX brokerage, why do companies actually need them, how do brokers like GPS Capital Market work with companies to optimize their FX trading strategies, and like always, much, much more. David is a reference in the field, and we are super grateful for having him on the show. He appears regularly on CNBC to discuss the financial market, and it's an honor to have him on the podcast. We really hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The only way we can get more and more amazing guests like David and get more people to learn about treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear and maybe learn a thing or two, please consider following the show, leaving a review or sharing the episode to help others discover it too. On another note, the conversation we had with Dave and Alex was really insightful and we discussed about ways we could collaborate further together. If you'd like to get in touch with Dave or Alex, we have worked together on a link where you can book a demo from GPS Capital Markets and explore how their team can actually help you. Head to the link in the description or to gpsfx.com slash book dash a dash demo. On another other note, this episode is brought to you by Automation Boutique. Automation Boutique is an hourly treasury, finance, and risk management with tailored automation solutions. They believe treasury and finance can lead your organization strategically, drive innovation, and provide key insights. We partnered with Automation Boutique as we really like their approach to innovation and how they help the treasury industry. For this partnership, they came up with an automation scan that can help you see if there are automation opportunities in your internal processes. It is totally free, non-intrusive, and only takes about 10 minutes. If you want to have a look, head to the link in the description or to automationboutique.com slash corporate treasury 101. And with all that being said, please welcome David Pierce. Hey Dave, thank you so much for joining us on the show. One topic that we didn't touch upon yet on the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast is brokerage. What is a broker? So that's actually my first question to you. Can you walk us through what is a broker, please? Well, I think just basically when you talk about a brokerage is a more specialty company. And that could be a, you know, you've heard of stock brokerages where they, that's what they do is they specialize in stock. We're a foreign exchange brokerage. Foreign exchange brokerages are typically not, you know, banks and not offer other financial institutions. It's mainly dealing with specific foreign exchange. 
And the reason the brokerages came about is because, as you know, foreign exchange is a very complicated industry. There's a lot that goes into it. And if somebody is just dabbling in it, if somebody is just doing this as a sideline, they're not going to be nearly as expert as somebody who does this full time. And so brokerages have been around for a long time. I started at my first brokerage 35-ish years ago. So I've worked at brokerages. I've worked with at big banks and back at working in the brokerage world again. And I love it. It is, it, it gives us a lot more flexibility and there's a lot more things that we can do for clients to help them in their journey and trying to manage their currency risk. So that's basically what a brokerage is. A lot of the reasons that companies need them is for the specific expertise that exists at a brokerage that's specialized, that they may not be able to find at their traditional financial institution. So that's really what a brokerage is and why the brokerages exist in the world. You made the distinction between stock brokerage and FX brokerage, so that's super interesting. When you talk about FX brokerage, what are we looking at exactly? Is it only swaps and like spots just to trade currencies? Or will you also offer derivatives like forwards, futures, and all this beautiful stuff that you can also use to manage your FX risk, right? That really depends a lot on the brokerage that you're working. There are some brokerages that basically just do retail transactions. You've seen the kiosks at the airport where you exchange some cash because you're going on vacation. Those are considered brokerages, but those are retail. And what I'm talking about and what I deal with is corporate brokerages, brokerages that deal specifically with corporations and companies and help companies move their money around the world. There's a few key points. We Yes, we do spot foreign exchange. We exchange funds. We can move funds around the world. We're really good at moving moving money, wire transfers, direct debits, direct credits, um, low-value payments, things like that. Then we also get into simple hedging like forward contracts. And then we also get into more exotic hedging with different complex derivatives like options and structured options and, and so forth. Then there's also probably another real big distinction in the brokerage world too that we need to make. There are brokerages that exist for people to do what I would call speculative trading, which means they don't have any exposure in the marketplace and they're trying to make money on foreign exchange. And so they go out and they, and they buy, you know, 10 million euros because they think that the euro is going to, to get stronger. And then they hold on to it and they try to sell it and hopefully they don't lose all their money. And, and that's not what we do. We are strictly for people that actually have exposure due to their underlying business. So for instance, you, you know, you're a company in France, you make your product in, in euros and you sell it in us dollars. And by the time you get paid in us dollars, the exchange rate is going to be different. And so what we do is we try to help companies lock that rate in. So it's just like doing business domestically. So they don't have that risk. If that, does that distinction make sense? hundred percent. And you actually anticipated one of my next questions, which was, oh, can, why do companies <laughs> need them? But that's perfect. That's perfect. I love it, Dave. Awesome. And so I also like the distinction between retail and corporate. And that's something that was a bit blurry for me. So when you say retail, it's just basically helping individuals to change their currency of their cash, basically. Yeah, well, like the, the kiosk at the airport, that would be, you know, a retail type of a uh, brokerage. Mm -hmm. 
But I also put the kind of brokerages where like you or I could go and just deposit $10,000 and speculate on that money. I would call that a retail brokerage as well because they're dealing by and large in the most part with individuals, not with companies, which is a big difference. And so looking at uh, specifically corporate treasury, how do brokers, brokerage, facilitate FX trading or FX hedging for those corporate treasury departments? So that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Give me three hours and we'll uh, we'll get through this one. So perfect. Uh, the way that we do it is it is really similar to any financial institution. We are out there. We are in the interbank market dealing in foreign exchange 24 hours a day. We've got trade desks, you know, throughout the world. We, in our case, you know, we've got uh, one in the UK and we've got several in the United States and uh, a couple in Australia. So, you know, we have people around the globe that are that are trading for us. So as a corporation comes to us and let's just start with a simple spot transaction. Let's say a company comes and says, says, Dave, I've got a million US dollars. I need to exchange that back into euros. Um, can you help me with that? We go out and we trade that in the spot market. And then we simply facilitate a transfer of funds back to the client. Usually that's when we're dealing with larger transactions like that. Usually it's done by a wire transfer. If it is, you know, smaller, low value payments, you know, it could go by SEPA or FasterPay or ACH or one of the different low value payment rails that exist around the world. And a lot of that just really depends on the volume of the transactions and the size of the individual transactions. It is more secure to send if we're dealing in, in millions of, of dollars and euros. It's more more efficient and secure to send things via wire right now because there is, once you've got a wire, you've got the wire and there's no no comeback on it. Whereas some of the lower value payment where else there's some ways that you can claw back some of that money. So it's, it's not quite as secure for the end recipient of those funds. So that's the basic transaction, a spot transaction. From a hedging transaction, this is where we really get a little more complicated. And let me break down the kind of clients we have kind of into two different categories. So the first category is what I would call a very sophisticated client. This is where they've got somebody that really knows what they're doing. They've got systems in place. They've build an infrastructure inside their company. They know exactly how much they want to hedge, when they need to hedge it. They've got a program in place and they come to us and they're coming to us only for execution. That's what they're doing. So they come to us, they get the price, we execute the deal and then the deal's there waiting for them to use it, you know, when the time comes. And we have quite a few of those clients. The second type of client I would say is maybe a little less sophisticated. They, they know what they want to do. They've got an idea what they want to do. They know what they want to try to accomplish. They're not sure how to get there. And so in that case, we sit down with them and we are very, very much consultative in nature in how we do business. And so we'll actually sit down, go through a company's financial statements with them. We will talk to them about what their exposures look like and where it's giving them problems, how it's hit, hitting the company's financial statements, not only at the parent, but even at the subsidiary levels. So that way, what they know is, all right, we might have this foreign exchange exposure that's out there that is impacting us at our foreign subsidiary. But once we consolidate that back to the parent, we may not see all that exposure. 
And we may not know where all of this risk is coming from. So we want to find that out as well. So that's probably the second kind of client. The third kind of client is somebody who may also have lots of exposure in lots of different countries. And this one's a little bit different because let's say that they're a company based in France and they've got 50 different subsidiaries around the world. And a lot of times those subsidiaries, they bought them from different companies. They're using different ERP systems, different treasury systems, and they have no idea what their exposure even looks like. They don't have visibility into it. And that is the most difficult one because what as much advice as you go and give them, if they physically cannot see what their exposures are, how are you going to manage that, right? That's the hard one. And and frankly, that's we spend probably as much time with those clients as we do anybody in the industry because we, we kind of have the secret sauce. We, we've got some software and we've got some tools and we've got ways that we could go in and help companies that have these, I don't know if I, you call them hidden exposures, but they're exposures that they can't identify themselves. And we help them identify those exposures and show them, all right, you've got these exposures, here they are, and maybe they net against other exposures so that it's not a big deal to the company, or maybe they're causing you big problems. And without understanding exactly what that looks like, there's a lot of companies that are flying blind out there. And that's probably where we spend most of our effort is with companies like that. The deep dive, the the real companies that not necessarily they don't have a lack of knowledge, but it's a lack of visibility into their very own systems. Hmm. So I wanted to play Davies advocate a little bit, but so <laughs> the thoughts with that. With the consulting hats, I see I see what and I'm gonna come to it. But so you help the companies look at their financial statement and really go deep diving into helping them identify the financial risk exposure and then putting the solutions in place. And then there are the companies that do not even have a system to help them identify that exposure, let alone manage it. I remember from my cash management analyst's time that I typically had clients calling me to know if we could help them doing swaps or spots, or like they had a big deal coming in a few days, few weeks. That's something banks can do, right? So let's park for the moment the consulting and system and exposure identification that obviously you do differently. But help me understand what's the difference between what a bank could do in terms of FX transactions, FX trading, and what you typically at GPS Capital Market or any broker will do in that field. Sure. When you talk about just the trading side of it, we can trade them, they can trade them. It's, there's not a ton of difference there. So I, I would say that we're very similar in that aspect. One of the things that does differentiate, and I'm located in the United States. So, you know, I'm talking specifically US here. In the United States, the bigger banks here in the United States have had restrictions put on them because of some of the, I don't even know what you want to call it, but the federal government has decided that they were not giving great advice to their clients and they were making too much profit on some of these deals because they were putting clients into things that were not necessarily the best for them. So the big banks are not, they can either be an execution partner or they can be an advisor. And brokerages such as GPS Capital Markets we are able to do both sides of those transactions. And so we can look at a client and usually what we do when we put together a suggestion for our client, we'll put together four or five different scenarios 
and we'll compare them side by side with our clients and say, look, here's four or five different scenarios. And we think some of them work better. Some of them work worse. But let's go through and look at your case and decide which one would be the best for you. And whereas if you are a big bank and all you can do is execution, the client needs to come up with that analysis. They have to go through all that work. Then they can go and they can execute with their bank just as well as they could execute with us. So I don't think that that is the actual execution of the deals is not that big of a deal. I mean, I think that we're faster and better and probably less expensive. But as far as actually executing the deals, the, their banks are probably going to be capable to do that. Is that the key difference then? Are brokers fiduciary responsibilities and therefore they need to give advice that would yeah, benefit we, the client? We do have fiduciary responsibility that when we are going out and making recommendations to our clients, those can be subject to evaluation. And if we are giving bad advice, then, you know, we have regulators and boy, you are so lucky in Europe because regulation over there is easy. Probably nobody there thinks that. But here in the United States, you know, we've got the federal government that we have audited us and that we are beholden to. We also have 50 states. And the last two weeks, we had eight different states in here doing a two-week audit. And every single one of them wanted different things. So, you know, we have not only got to be beholden to the United States government, but all the 50 states. And then we have to deal with, you know, UK rules and EU rules and, and Australia, you know, everywhere we do business in, you know, Canada, et cetera, we, we've got to comply with all of those rules. And it gets overwhelming and it becomes almost like we're a compliance company because we're trying to figure out how to be compliant everywhere in the world. And, you know, like, like for instance, I mean, a while ago, we had to completely redo our website for our company and go to a completely different platform because the platform that we are on was not GDPR compliant. Now in the United States, we don't care about that, but in, in Europe, GDPR is a big deal. So we have to be nimble and we have to really be able to make things work in different parts of the world. Super clear. So are there different types of brokerages as well? Yes, there are. And there's different types of licenses. Some brokerages can only do, let's say, spot and forward transactions, cannot do derivatives, options. Even within those brokerages, there are specific people. You have to be licensed to do options, for instance. So you actually have to go through and have an options trading license in order to cover options for your clients if you're, you're that individual. If you are not licensed, then somebody who actually has an option license or is the one that actually has to go and deal with those clients within the company. So yeah, there's different types of licensing and there's also different types of licensing within the brokerages as well for the individuals. So when you go about selecting a broker, then is that the main thing that you're looking at is the kind of services that you need and can those be supported by not just the company, but the individuals inside that company. Is there an individual in that company that you're looking at licensed to be able to carry out that transaction? Is that the main well, thing you look for? Or when I'm selecting... I, I, I think those are a couple of things you've got to look for because if, looking for. if you can't meet my basic needs, there's no reason to even talk to that brokerage, right? So, I mean, that's a good place to start. But if you... Let's say that you go to a brokerage that can meet your basic needs. They can do options. They've got people there that can trade the options. All that's well and good. Well, then you've got a whole bunch of other questions you need to ask. 
So for instance, how financially sound is the brokerage? Am I going to have to place a deposit? How much credit can I get? And those are all things that are above and beyond whether or not somebody could physically do something. And I mentioned one thing there, credit too. And credit might sound, how important is that? But it's a big deal, especially if you are, let's say you're a corporation and you've got a hundred million euro revolver from your from your bank. And that's what you manage your business on is with this revolving line of credit. Well, if you go out and do foreign exchange, they reduce that line of credit. That goes against your line of credit and gives you less money to actually borrow in the marketplace. Where is if you come out to me and I put a line of credit into in for you for foreign exchange, guess what? That doesn't impact the line that you have got with your bank. It gives you additional credit and it gives you more flexibility and more ability to trade and do the things that you might need to do as a company. So finding somebody that can actually give you real credit without taking cash deposits and things like that is a big deal as well. So hit it on the head, Hassam, that you've got to make sure you've got to actually be able to do the deals. And then you've got to dig a little bit deeper, make sure you have the right brokerage that can do the deals. Quick question about that, Dave. That's super interesting. But so you will also look at that company's overall debt situation, right? We'll not just say, okay, our credit comes on top. I understand that for wallet sharing reasons and like the level of risk a bank is willing to take, they might be like, okay, we're already giving you a hundred millions, whatever, in terms of revolving credit facility, for instance, we cannot go above that to grant you an FX line as well. But are you taking that into account nonetheless? Dead situations on the play. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we look at the client. We've got big credit department, right? And that's all that they're doing is looking at the credit of clients and they look at a number of things. They look at how much they're looking at the underlying financials of the company. How well is the company doing? Are they making money? Are they losing money? How much debt do they have? Can they pay their debt back? We like to even look at FX contracts that they might have on with other brokerages as well, because we've seen some times when people have gone out and gone crazy and had way too much exposure out with too many brokerages. And then they've gotten in trouble because they've gone became speculative in the market. They're no longer just trying to cover their exposure. They're trying to make money doing this. And we really work hard to avoid doing business with people like that because we want to help corporations do their business better. This is not about speculating. And it was about speculating the foreign currency market. They would just sell everything in the company and go to Las Vegas and start gambling, right? I mean, that's, you know, that would be just as good a business strategy. So we don't think that that's a good business strategy going to Vegas and putting it on black, right? So we want people, we're trying to help people build their core business and do it better. That's a great transition because that's exactly my next question. We've talked a lot about financial risk management and specifically FX risk in the yeah. podcast before and, and go over those concepts from a brokerage perspective. Like, so we looked at it from the corporation side, but from the broker side, is that your key objective? Is like, I'm sure there's brokers out there that are also helping their clients speculate or not really. Yes. Or is that a bank yeah, broker? There absolutely are. Yeah. But not us. So that's not what we do. That's the we, right we, perspective. You're asking a guy who doesn't believe in, in speculating. So my perspective is we just help corporations manage their risk and their exposure. Look, I got gray hair. I've earned it. And I've seen a lot of bad things happen in the marketplace over the years. And when I look at this, I have never seen good come out of clients speculating in the currency market. I've just, it's never turned out well for them. So I'm pretty firm in the, in the camp of, we don't help our clients speculate. 
we help our clients reduce risk. And, and let's look at these are two opposite sides. Because if you don't have any risk in the marketplace and you go and buy a currency, you've all of a sudden created risk for the company. Well, that's not treasury management. That's speculation. If by the nature of your business, you have risk in currency because you're doing business other in other countries, well, you have risk. If you hedge that, you cover it, you're eliminating your risk. What's that called? That's treasury management. That's cash management. That is what people are hired to do in that cash risk area of a company is to manage the risk, not create risk. So to me, it's cut and dry. And as a company philosophy, that's where we're at. We 100% want to help corporations manage their risk and not or not less, but help them with the right amount of risk. And you know what? Things happen. You know, when COVID happened, a lot of people got, especially in the retail industry, we had a lot of clients that were like in the clothing industry and stuff, and nobody went to stores and nobody bought clothes. And they had the right amount of hedges on for their historical sales. But when COVID happened, all of a sudden they had way too many hedges on. And helping them manage that and how we can get some of those hedges off the books so they weren't overhedged. I mean, people, things like that happen in the marketplace. And that's, you know, that's just normal course of business. That's not because we're trying to do things wrong. It just sometimes disasters happen. What's overhedged? I don't think that's something we've covered. Mm. Overhedged. That means, let's say you're a French company and you got receivables of 10 million US dollars and you say, all right, I'm going to go out and buy foreign exchange hedges for a hundred million dollars. That's overhedged. You're buying more hedges than what you actually have underlying exposure for. And, you know, sometimes that happens where, you know, maybe you've gone and hedged 90% of your exposure in the marketplace. And then I can say 9-11 or COVID happens and all of a sudden your market drops by 50%. So now you're 40% over hedged. So you've got to reduce those hedges. You've got to sell those on. And this can happen. We Nobody likes to be over hedged if you're not speculating because it, it shows up badly on your financial statements. Okay. I'm going to get accounting geeky here for a minute. So bring me back if I get too, too deep in the weeds. But if you're doing a mark to market on your outstanding hedges and you don't have anything to offset those hedges, all of a sudden, all those gains and losses on those hedges are hitting your income statement. There's nothing to offset it. And that is really ugly on a company's financial statements because I always call it the no-win line on the financial statement, that FX gain and loss line, the one that's above the net income. Because if you've got a gain on there, if you've got stockholders, you're a publicly held company, nobody gives you credit if you've got a gain. They're like, eh, it's a one-time event. It was lucky. We don't give them any credit for that. What happens if you have a loss? Those guys are idiots. They don't know what they're doing. They're not managing the company right. Okay? So if you've got a gain, you don't get anything out of it. If you've got a loss, you get you lose your job type of a thing. You want that line to be zero. Zero is the best number you could possibly have. So it that's what we're trying to do is help companies try to get to, to a net zero. And so would you say like overhedging is like the equivalent of just not being hedged at all? So it's kind of like the same amount of like risk you carry? Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, it is. It's, it's like not being hedged at all. It's creating risk actually out of nothing. And nobody wants to create risk when there's no risk to begin with. That's just silly. 
Sorry if I just offended like, everybody. So <laughs> But I'm very pragmatic. I just so, so I, draw a line on that, right? Yeah, I'm just like I like to just do things the right way. And there are scenarios when people put on hedges that they may not have underlying exposure, and there's the appropriate type of hedges to use for that. For instance, if you're bidding on a big project, let's say you're bidding on a project that's a half a billion euros, and you're an American company. You go out and buy an option, just a vanilla option, pay a premium for that in case you get that bid. Yeah. Are you hedged? Yes, you are. Do you have an underlying exposure? Not yet. But is it worth it to spend 1% maybe to have protection in case you get that contract? Yes, that is a business decision. That's not just a wild speculative decision. It is a That's a, a proper business decision on putting a hedge on even though you haven't got a contract yet. So- there are cases where it's very, very appropriate to do, but most of the time it's not. Super clear. Oh, yeah, so just draw a line on that then. So the main benefit to a corporate, to working with a brokerage, is that it's to eliminate the risk. Is that how you would summarize it? That's yeah. the main objective that a good company is going into a relationship with a brokerage? Absolutely. Yeah. We're here to help you minimize your risk. We are. Like I said, there's a couple of other types of brokerages that that is not their stated purpose. Doesn't mean that they're bad companies. They're not doing a good job. It's just you need to make sure you have the right one for what you're trying to accomplish. If you are just looking to speculate in the currency markets, don't come see me. Go see somebody else because that's what they do. And we don't do that. <laughs>